You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Well, I told you last week that I actually was going to show you a picture today that actually revealed that I had hair. 30 years ago, yes, I don't know who those children are. That's actually me and my wife from 30 years ago, almost 30 years this December 22nd, I had hair. And I know you're looking at that picture and you go, how in the world did you land her? (laughs) God is merciful. In fact, I found a verse that shows that. Let me show you this verse. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Man, has the Lord shown me favor. We continue, excuse me, today in our marriage and family series from 1 Corinthians. And we come to chapter 7 and we're coming to this discussion of marriage. Now you remember the Corinthian church had written to the Apostle Paul while he was in Ephesus. And I want to remind you again by way of this map to kind of give you some, I like knowing where things are. This is the Mediterranean Sea. If the map were larger and if you were to look down on the right side of the map you'd go back down to where Israel is. But this is the Mediterranean Sea. See Corinth in the middle? Do you see how close Corinth is to Athens? See just to the right of Corinth, see Athens? What present day country is that? Greece, right? Across the Aegean Sea is then Asia Minor where Ephesus is. So you'll see Paul is in Ephesus and he's writing back to the Corinthians. Now the Corinthians had questions about marriage and boy did they need help. Not only answering questions about marriage but where have we been? Man, this church has struggled. They've got all kinds of problems. They're fighting amongst each other. They're taking each other to court. They're falling back in their old lifestyles. Even had a guy that was in an illicit relationship with his stepmom. My goodness. And so there's a lot of issues with the church at Corinth. And so there's issues that have to be addressed. And so we've, we've talked about a lot of those. And now we get here to chapter 7 and we get this, this, this discussion about marriage. So you've made your way there. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians 7, follow along with me as we read verses 1 through 9. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Verse 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. Why? So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." 
Church family, I, I find it interesting in our day today that in America, particularly over the last decade, did you, did you know that the divorce rates in America are dropping? You say, really? Why? We don't want to answer, do we? Because people aren't getting married as much. They're living together. Cohabitation has been on the rise for some time. According to a 2016 study in Relevant Magazine, cohabitation has become the norm for American couples, with 66% of American couples saying that it's okay. That was back in 2016. I'm sure it's higher now. The study also showed that back in 2016, get this, 44% of Christians said it was okay to cohabitate. Folks, that's not scriptural. <laughs> The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that that's sexual immorality. Any sort of sexual relations outside of marriage is called sexual immorality. We wouldn't even be having this discussion if it was 50 or 60 years ago, now would we? The generation of our grandparents and great-grandparents. And I know what people say. They say, well, that's because you're old-fashioned. No, that's because the Word of God doesn't change. <laughs> It's the same yesterday, today, and forever because God does not change. And God is not dumb. When God breathed His Word into 40 authors, He knew exactly what was going to apply and what was going to be best for all generations and all time because God stands outside of time. You would not find this a strange stat. In that same study, 88% of people who have no faith at all, 88% said, yeah, we're good with cohabitation. That, that makes sense. I want to show you another study, a 2017 Pew Research study. Get this, 60% of all people, this is 2017, in the United States who eventually get married have already lived together. I'd say that's probably higher now too. The average age, watch this, uh, to, uh, in 2017 of the, for the first marriage in the United States, I hate it says first marriage, but that's what the study says, is 27 for a woman and 29 for a man. Now here's what's interesting. In 1990, 30 years ago when Pam and I were married, the average age of marriage was 23 for women and 26 for men. And if you go back to 1960, the average age for marriage was 20 for women and 22 for men. And we don't have it in the study, but if you go back to the 1900s, you know it. Some of your grandparents or great-grandparents got married when they were teenagers. Right? Now, I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that what's happening is we continue to put marriage off longer and longer and longer, and yet the Bible teaches that we're to be sexually pure. Folks, it's getting more and more egregious. Is it not? The wait is so long now that the journey to remain pure is tattered. Church, let's remember what God's purpose for marriage is. Remember, Adam was in the Garden of Eden, and he's naming all the animals, and he sees each animal has a male and a female counterpart. And then God saw Adam and saw that he was what? Lonely, right? Lonely. Saw that he was lonely. So what did he do? He put him to sleep and took a rib from his side, and he made woman. He made Eve and brought her to him. And then he told Adam and Eve to do what? Be fruitful and multiply. 
So you say, okay, there we go. So those are the two purposes for marriage. Actually, there's four in Scripture. Did you know that? Let's show them to you again. Let's let's go back over. Number one, God's first purpose of marriage is is for loneliness and companionship. That's Genesis 2.20. Second purpose is, again, to be fruitful and multiply. That's procreation. That's Genesis 1.28. The third purpose for marriage is godly offspring. God wants, according to Malachi 2.15, He wants godly offspring. He wants people to have kids. Yes, but he wants them to come to know him. And number four, this goes back to our text today. God gave marriage to protect us from sexual immorality. We are not to have sex outside of marriage. And that almost sounds strange to even say that in our culture today. But that is what the Bible teaches. That is God's holy word. Let's see our context again. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. Now concerning the matters which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now the Corinthians were having big time problems adjusting to being Christians. You want to know why? They were first generation Christians. They didn't have a mama that was a Christian, a daddy that's been a Christian. They hadn't had a grandma or a grandpa that's been a Christian. They're the first. And they're struggling. They had no examples. We saw last week how many of them were falling back even into their old lifestyles, their old patterns of living. So the Apostle Paul, remember this from last week? He reminded them, guys, you don't own yourself. You were bought at a price. See, Jesus Christ, when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you become his property. You know how they've got these shirts, you know, from you know, his college campuses, property of, you know, Duke Blue Devils or North Carolina. Property of Jesus Christ. He owns me. He owns you. So remember we talked, this, all this, it's not about you. It's about him. It's about the Lord Jesus. It's not about our lifestyle that we should say to Jesus, this is what I want. No, he says, follow me. The question for today in this, in this passage in 1 Corinthians 7 is this. Are you more spiritual if you stay single? What do you think? Are you more spiritual if you stay single? No. Answer is no. That's verses 1 and 2. But what Paul is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that, yes, it's okay to stay single, but if you're going to be tempted to immorality, it's better to go ahead and get married. Folks, let's be blunt. It's a difficult day, is it not, to stay chaste, to stay pure in a sex-saturated society when there's gross immorality everywhere, everywhere you turn. All the movies, music, TV, sex-saturated, social media, even video games. Temptations are endless, and that's why it's so hard to arrive to the marriage altar chaste and pure. See, that's the goal. It's what I teach my kids. It's a gold medal. How do you win a gold medal? You don't live like everybody else. You don't eat what they eat. You don't go to bed when they go to bed, and you get up a lot earlier than they get up. And then you go to the Olympics. And then you still may not win a gold medal. And today, arriving to to the marriage altar pure is like winning a gold medal. It is that rare. It really is. But it can be done. It can be done. Maybe you've failed. Maybe you've made a mistake. 
Aren't you glad to know that there's forgiveness? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if that we're faithful to confess our sins, that He is faithful to, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe sitting here today or maybe watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere, might you make the decision today and say, you know what, I've messed up, but I want to be forgiven. I want to start over. And you can. You can. God will forgive you. Make that decision. Maybe you're a young couple today that needs to make that decision. Somebody that's watching today, you need to make that decision. Are you more righteous if you stay single? No. Are you more righteous if you get married? No. It's a different stage of life. See, we're talking about marriage today. And as I said a moment ago, marriage is not about me. We talked about this last week. It's, my marriage is about Pam. And we, we see this by way of this example. I use this when I do pre-marriage counseling. I'm going to show you this triangle that I use. I don't know who, I, this is not original with me, but see this, you got God at the top of the triangle, right? You got the man and you got the woman. And as the, now you understand this? As they move closer, as the man moves up the triangle, getting closer to God, as the woman moves up the triangle, getting closer to God, guess what happens to their relationship? What's happening to the man and the woman's relationship? It's getting even closer. See how they're coming together? See they were here? You get closer to God, and you get closer together. How about that? That's how God intended it. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, practically, you know, how do we do this? Well, I told you I, I do pre-marriage counseling. I won't marriage, marry a couple that I don't do at least five hours of pre-marriage counseling with because I figure if I'm going to marry them, I need to make certain they understand what they're getting into. And I need to make certain and understand, look, I won't marry a couple that's living together. Several times I've said, look, one of you got to move out because I won't marry you. You might as well just go to the justice of the peace. You say, oh, you're such a prude. No, I'm not. I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God with his word opened. Have I been faithful to it or not? I do pre-marriage counseling, and I've got these uh, what I call sound marriage tips. I've got 25 of them, but for sake of time, I'm going to give you my top 10 25 marriage tips. You ready? Number one, pray together. Every marriage is stronger with God in the middle of it. We just saw that with the triangle. Hey, couples, do you pray together? You go, wait a minute, are you asking us if we pray? Yeah, I pray. She prays at her time, I pray. No, no, no. I mean together. You need to pray together. Does that sound strange? It shouldn't be because you're one flesh. So pray together. And let me tell you something. When you're married and you know that you're going to be praying together, Pam and I pray together every night before we go to bed. You, you both go to bed at the same time every night? No, not necessarily. But before either one of us go into our bedroom, we pray together. Most, most nights we do. I'm telling you, 95% like of the time we go to, the bed, go to bed at the same time. I think that's a, that's a good thing as well if, you, if you're able to pull that off, if you're not working different shifts, whatever. But, but you understand. Let me tell you something. You ever tried to pray with somebody you're ticked off with? Let's pray. Okay. You can't, I'm telling you. And when you know this is a habit and a routine for your marriage, that you're going to be praying together later in the evening, then you won't let the sun go down on your wrath. And you'll talk. It's a powerful thing. Praying together is a beautiful thing. I encourage you to do that. Start today. If you've not been doing that, start today. Sir, you need to lead out. Sir, you need to lead out. Number two, choose to love each other, even in those moments when you struggle to like each other. And don't you say that doesn't happen to us. You know it does. Oh, I love him, but right now, I don't even want to be in the same room with him. He is ticking me off. You know, it, uh, love is a commitment. 
It's more than just feelings. True? Love is a decision. You keep loving even when there's dirty dishes in the sink, dirty clothes on the floor, tempers are short. You don't stop loving because the feeling goes away. Number three, make laughter the soundtrack of your marriage. Share moments of joy, and even in the hard times, find reasons to laugh. The Bible says a cheerful heart does good like a medicine. Number four, in a disagreement, remember that there won't be a winner and a loser. You are partners in everything, so you'll either win together or lose together. Work and pray together to find a solution. Because when you say this, well, I won that argument, no, no you didn't, no, you didn't. You, you, you may think you did, but you actually are both the loser. Because when you win, the other one's the loser. And if you really care about that person, why would you want them to be the loser? Why would we want them to be the loser? No, we work together. Number five, don't put your marriage on hold while you're raising your kids, or else you'll end up with an empty nest and an empty marriage. Got to still make time for each other. Got to still make time for each other. Number six, never keep secrets from each other and never lie to each other. Lies break trust, and trust is the foundation of a strong marriage. Do you have people in your life, uh, maybe it's some friend or maybe even a, some family member, you say, I love them, but I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Have any like that? They're my family. I love them. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. You know, you can have love for somebody, but if you don't trust them, if that trust is broken, I tell you, you got to have trust in a relationship. Don't lie to each other. You say, wait a minute. Do, do I, I mean, what if I want to keep a secret that we're having a surprise birthday party? I, fine. I get that. I'm talking about just in general, though. We don't lie to each other. Don't keep secrets from each other. So dangerous. Number seven, when you've made a mistake, admit it and humbly seek forgiveness. We should be quick to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. See folks, those, uh, let's see, let me count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Those eight words, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me, that can save a marriage. That can save a marriage. Number eight, your spouse is always more important than your schedule. Man, did I need to hear that, and I wrote it. Because I work hard, I tend to work too much. Sometimes Pam will call and say, can I schedule an appointment with the pastor? <laughs> I'm working on it. Number nine, model the kind of marriage that will make your sons want to grow up to be good husbands and your daughters grow up to be good wives. And number 10, drum roll please, remember that a perfect marriage is just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Isn't that good? And that's the diagram. If we seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, says we'll have everything we need and that includes our marriage. You see, church family, for the Corinthians, this is so interesting. Many of them were getting saved, and yet there were occasions when there was one of the spouses that got saved and the other didn't. See, Paul came into town six years earlier, and he's sharing the gospel. And you got this couple that comes to hear him speak, and one gets saved and the other doesn't. And so they ask the question, well, what do we do in our marriage? And the, and, the, and the believing spouse was even asking this question, am I allowed to be intimate with my unbelieving spouse? Look at verses 3 and 4, we find the answer. 
The husband should give to his wife. Now, there's no condition given here whether they're saved or not saved. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You know, most people, when I'm doing marriage counseling and I share those two verses, they have no idea those verses are in the Bible. Did you know those verses are in the Bible? What a practical couple of forthright verses. You see, sir, ma'am, in marriage, when we become one flesh, we give our rights to ourselves over to our spouse. We mutually submit to one another. Think of what we saw last week. Paul describing to the Corinthians marriage in terms that are relatable to our relationship with Jesus. As Christians, we don't own ourselves. Remember, we talked about that a moment ago. We are bought at a price, so we're the property of Jesus, right? So as Christians, we are His bride, and we submit to Him. That's a picture of marriage and how we submit as a husband and wife to one another. In fact, that's Ephesians 5. Let, let me show you this. Just look real quickly at the screens. Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Okay, no, notice these pronouns here. This is man and woman. And hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Anatomically, that can only happen with a man and a woman. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You say, what does that mean? Well, I've shared this with you, to, with you several times before. Of all of the analogies, the metaphors, the examples that God could have used to describe the relationship between His Son Jesus and us, the church, what are we called, church? We're called the what of Christ? Bride! God used marriage as the example. The holy, sacred institution that He created. And so God, listen to me, look at me. God determines what marriage is. Not a culture and not the Supreme Court. God decides what marriage is. God brought Eve to Adam and made them where they could procreate. And so that's why we're here today. God makes the decision. It's His institution, not ours. But here's what was happening with the Corinthians. So they got saved. And many began to say, even if it was a couple that were, both of them got saved, the man and the woman. They said, well, is it okay to be intimate with one another because we want to be totally devoted to the Lord? Is, is, is this okay? And again, we know that particularly this was the case for the couple where one was not saved, the other one was saved, and you know, the one that was saved said, look, I'm trying to be totally committed to Jesus. You're not even saved. And so I, I'm not sure that I, that I can even be with you. But, but see, this, verse 5 settles this. Watch verse 5 now. This is so practical. Do not deprive one another. You understand that, adults in the room. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, <clears throat> so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Church, are you listening? If you're listening, say amen. Deprivation is a dangerous thing in marriage, and it was particularly dangerous in that first century because they had this temple in town. Remember the temple they had in town? Take a look. What is that temple? You remember? The temple of Aphrodite. 
And who was there? Over 1,000 male and female prostitutes. So you've got a couple. One got saved, the other one didn't. Let's say that the lady got saved and the man didn't for sake of argument. The lady says, I can't be with you because you're not a Christian. See, that's wrong thinking. We just thought, no, no, no. Paul says, according to the Holy Spirit, you know, don't deprive one another. But that guy goes, yeah, I'm out. I'm going to the temple. I'll be back in a couple hours. You go, that's twisted. <laughs> that's where a society goes. The Bible says, no, don't do this. Look at it again. Look at the first part of verse 5. Do not deprive one another, except when? For a limited time, and so that you can what? Pray. Pray. You say, what are you talking about? Listen, maybe there comes a brief season of time in your life where you as a couple need to fast and pray about something. And so you decide to fast the physical so that you can concentrate on the spiritual, something that really needs to be prayed about. Listen, prayer is the one exception that's listed here, and that by mutual agreement. The word agreement there in verse 5 is actually a word that we understand well. We, from that Greek word, get our English word symphony. You know, what does a symphony do? They all play from the same page of music. They're in agreement on the notes they're playing, correct? So we should be in symphony. God wants our marriages to be in symphony. And so there should be mutual consent. And so if you do decide for a season of time to pray about something, make that for a limited set time. You agree how long? It's not an indefinite amount of time. You say something like this as a married couple. Okay, we need to pray about this for, for X number of days. But we're not talking about weeks and months. And you say, okay, we need to pray about this, honey. You've got this job opportunity. Let's pray about this. Um, um, honey, uh, she's got three, three offers to three colleges. Let, let's really pray about this for a season of time. So, you, so you, what, whatever the case might be, however the Holy Spirit might lead you. Now, I want to be delicate here, but this is what I believe is being instructed to married couples in this passage. It's simply this. Listen, don't deprive one another, couples, married couples. Don't manipulate one another. Don't discourage one another in this area of intimacy. Talk with each other. This is a gift. Your bodies are a gift to one another from God. Talk to one another. Because doing so will make your marriage stronger. And it will protect you from Satan's temptation. Satan wants adulteries. And so we want the triangle to work. See the triangle again? We want, I just want to emblazon this in your minds. We want to move toward God. See, you may be a couple that's out here dating today. Are you moving toward God? Are you moving toward God? Do you want God to bless your relationship? You've got to move toward Him. I want you to see verses 6 and 7. Take a look at this now. Paul offers this as a concession. He says, this is not a command of the Lord, but he's given a personal testimony here. He says, now as a concession, he says, this is not a command. He said, he said look, y'all, you Corinthians, he said, I wish you were like me. He said, like I am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now he's going to say it down in verse 8, but what do we know about Paul? We know that he was single. He said, he said, I wish you could be like me. And he, and he called it a gift. Did you catch that? He says, I have this gift. What is the gift? He has the gift. Paul had the gift of celibacy. You know who else had that gift? Jesus. Jesus was single. He, look, I don't have that gift. That's why I got married. You understand? 
Paul had the gift of celibacy. It's a gift. See, that's what's noted there in verse 7. It's a gift from God. Some have it, some don't. You see, the Lord made every one of us unique and gifted in many varied ways, and that is true in the area of intimacy. We're going to talk about this more in a few weeks as we go deeper into this chapter. But let me say this. Some are simply called of God to remain single all of their lives, just like Paul, just like Jesus. Now, Paul said, I wish that all were as myself. And you say, why does he say that? Because he's going to begin talking about this whole area of devotion to the Lord Jesus. And this, let's look at verse 8, but then I'm going to send you somewhere else. Look at verse 8, 1 Corinthians 7, 8. He says, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that, and that word widow can mean widower, male or female. A widow who's lost her husband to death is a, is a widow, a, a, a man is a widower. Uh, either one would work there. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. He said, that's okay. It's okay. You don't have to, you don't have to get married again. It's fine. If you're single, you don't have to get married. That's what he was saying. And then he goes, and, and the way that we see what he was speaking of in, in relation to this is we need to jump down a little further in, in chapter 7. So will you do that with me? Jump down to the same chapter, but go down to verse 32. Watch this. Verse 32. He says, now look y'all, I want you to be free from anxieties. He said, I don't, I don't want you to be concerned here. The unmarried man is anxious. Uh, you could use the word concerned um, or even excited about the things of the Lord. So, so the single guy is excited about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the, but the married man is concerned about worldly things, how to take care of his wife. And so the married guy, his interests are divided. And the unmarried the, or, or the single guy or the, or the engaged woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married lady, the married lady is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. See, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon y'all, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What was he saying? He's saying it's okay to remain single if you want to remain single because you'll have what? More time to devote to the Lord. Hey folks, let me tell you something. Something. Being married is awesome, but it's time consuming. True? Be, there's only 24 hours in a day. And so when you're married, and particularly when you start having family and you have children, it's time consuming. But you think about the Apostle Paul. This is why he could just pick up and leave and go anywhere he needed to. That's why he was able to do all these missionary journeys and go back and forth to these churches offering encouragement to the Christians. The, the, the point is, if you have the gift of celibacy, the gift of singleness, it's a good thing. But if you don't have that gift, you need to consider marriage. You really do. Now, I want to say this, and, and, and be delicate in how I say this, but the next time you see a single person in their 30s or 40s or whatever age, don't assume it's because they've got bad breath. Okay? The next time you see somebody that, let's say it's a 45-year-old lady, don't assume that she's got some, I don't know, uh, socially unacceptable personality trait. Might we assume this instead? Might we think, hey, maybe they've been given the gift of celibacy by God, that he's uniquely prepared him or her and gifted them for singleness in his work. 
It happens. And no, I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not talking about nowhere in Scripture are we told to turn into a nun or a monk and go live in a convent or a monastery and, you know, don't talk to anybody for days and weeks on end. That's not in Scripture. That's some, that's some invention by the Roman Catholic Church. It's not biblical. It's not this at all. The gift of celibacy is a gift from God, the gift of singleness. And so we come to verse 9, and we're right back where we started. Look at verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Listen, I want to say this to the young people in the room. Young people that might be watching, you might be in a den, you might be on your phone. Listen, listen to me carefully. Young people, you need to decide right now, before you get into a relationship, how you're going to live your life in regard to whether or not you're going to save yourself for marriage or not. You need to decide right now. Because once you get into a relationship, and you've been in that deal for about six months, I'm going to tell you something. Well, I'll show it to you. I showed it to you last week. Remember the hand? Remember the hand? You have a, a young man and a young lady, and they come together. And they have the little things in common. They have the big things in common. They, they're pointing in the same direction. And what two fingers aren't touching? That's the, that's the ring finger. And that's sexual intimacy. How long do you think I can hold my hands like this without these two fingers touching? Not very long at all. You see, God designed it that way. He didn't design us to indefinitely go for these long seasons of time and all these long extended engagements. You know, you got a guy getting married when he's 29 now and a girl getting married when they're 27. What do you think? We're all crazy to think they're going to arrive to the marriage altar pure and chaste? And so what I tell people all the time is, look, if you can figure out how to, a way to do it and you can survive, don't burn. Get married. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Well, they need to finish college first. They need to get established in their career first. They need to make X amount of money first. Hey, yeah, we don't care about their purity anymore. It's all economics. That's why, that's why people cohabitate. It's all economics. It's our excuse if you can't say amen, say, oh my. <laughs> I told you earlier, I do not have the gift of celibacy. That's why I got married. And I'm so grateful the Lord brought Pam into my life, and I love her with all my heart. And here's proof. Here's me kissing on Pam at Tweetsie. My kids love it when I do that. They go, oh, come on. But they really love it. You know, Pam and I chose to get married. I don't want to be crass here, but uh, I took to heart verse 9, it's better to marry than to burn. And that's why we chose to get married even though Pam was still in college. Mm -hmm. I had a job. I was working at Broyhill Furniture in Lenore making peanuts, nothing. But I had a little bitty apartment in the basement of an older couple's home in Moravian Falls. And I told Pam, baby, let's get married. I don't know. Mom and Dad really want me to graduate first. Baby, I can support us. You understand? I had the ability to support. Now, we didn't have nothing. You know, I mean, it's all hand-me-down furniture, you know? I mean, it was just, it was rough. But I told her, I said, baby, we need to get married. I'll, I'll never forget, I proposed to her, gave her an engagement ring, and we started having these, these showers. People started throwing the showers. And I remember on one occasion that we had... Some people gave us some stuff, and we were taking, them, taking the stuff to, to my apartment. Pam and I had made the decision we were just not going to be alone together anymore without people in the room. Okay, y'all are just, bless your hearts. No. 
we were protecting ourselves. So we're carrying this stuff in from my vehicle into my little apartment. All this stuff, people have been so nice to us. And, and, and I'm going out, Pam's coming in. I may have told you this last week. And so we ran into each other in the doorway. And we had one of those movie moments. And I said, we got to get out of here. She said, there's still stuff in the car. I said, it's fine. I'll put it in the place later. You say, you're being silly. No, I'm not. We made up our minds to arrive at the wedding altar. Have you made up your mind, young person? Maybe you're in a situation where you've made the mistake. Hey, write it. Write the ship. You know what's right. Doesn't mean you have to continue it. Write the ship. You know what I tell young people? Look, if you can figure out a way, if you're in a relationship and y'all and you, can provide and, and make it, you ought to do life together. And that's what Pam and I did. We were young and dumb, but we did life together. I showed you that picture earlier. Who were those two kids? Have, I've seen all the wedding pictures. You know, there's a lot of anniversaries this time of year in June. Who are all those kids? It's you old people now, like me. You remember how those times were hard and you didn't have much? I mean, you remember how the Lord took care of you? I mean, you're eating ramen noodles and beanie weenies and crackers, but you got each other, and it's good. So if you're here today and you're single, maybe, maybe you're widowed, maybe you've gone through a divorce, and maybe the Lord's brought you to a place and, and said, you know what, this is uh, the gift I've given you. This is your state of life, uh, to remain single. That's okay. Maybe you're here today and you're single and you're wanting to get married, but that, uh, that person, has the Lord's not brought into your life yet. Can I say this to you as a single person? We'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks. Um, concentrate not on the person that you want God to bring to you, but concentrate on becoming the kind of person you want to marry. Concentrate on being the right kind of person for someone else. And please, please don't pine away your life in some sort of sorry, melancholy state of sadness that all your friends are married and you ain't got married yet. Look, Jesus isn't popping out whoppers, okay? This is Wendy's where you can have an onions or no cheese or, you know what I'm saying? It's... God is plenty capable of bringing into our life the person that He has designed before time. That's to be our partner. And so we can trust Him in that. Will you trust Him? Will you believe that God is in control? If He can put the stars in their orbit, He can bring that person into your orbit. By the way, a shameless plug for uh, Matthew and our uh, podcast, Real Time Truth. We did an entire podcast on singleness. I recommend it to you. You can get our podcast. You can watch it on YouTube or, or listen to it on Spotify, and you can get access to it if you just want to go to the church uh, Facebook page or go to my Facebook page. You'll see the links. But we did a 21-minute podcast back in May on running after God as a single. This is a good podcast, I thought, and there's a lot more detail than I can give today. But the point is this, live for Jesus. I don't care what state of life you're in, married, single, whatever. Live for Jesus. Put Him first. Trust His timing. And for the married couples today, one last time and we're done. 
please remember the triangle. Remember the triangle. As you grow closer to God, are you seeking the Lord? As you grow closer, closer to the Lord, you'll, you'll grow closer to one another. The Corinthians in the first century, and those of us in the 21st century, please listen. Live for God, seek Him, and you'll grow closer. And at the same time, you'll grow closer together as a married couple, and you'll be blessed. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.